mindset. Welcome to the Ascent Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we are joined by Todd Akamisis. And this was actually the first in-person podcast that we've actually done on the Ascend podcast. And we do really hope that in the future we can do more of these. As the in-person element is something so much more special and it does add something much better to the podcast. So for you guys who don't know who Todd is... He is a self-taught astral traveller and near-death experience researcher and Todd has been exploring consciousness through altered and expanded states of awareness for more than two decades now and he's a very, very interesting guy to say the least. And he is certainly somebody that we're planning on definitely meeting up with again in the future and diving even deeper into his mind. So me and Chris headed down to the Mind Body Spirit Festival in Birmingham for a long weekend of connecting and podcasting. We had such a great weekend and we really did record some incredible podcasts and we cannot wait to share share them with you all in the up and coming weeks. And over the next few weeks as well, we will also be going deeper into our experience at the festival and talk about some of the lessons that we learned and also talk about some of the funny experiences that we encountered, which we cannot wait to share with you. And that will be in the next episode of Observing Our Thoughts, so keep an eye out for that. And also as well, on the Patreon page, we just uploaded a podcast that me and Chris had driving to the festival. So that is available the Patreon on the that is available on the Patreon subscribers page. So prior to recording the podcast at the festival, we actually had no ideas idea if these conversations would even go ahead or even go forward. And we weren't actually even given permission by the event to record them. But like me and Chris said. Nobody owns the guests, nobody owns anything, and we knew and got a sense that the universe would just provide for us, and it did. And for this episode, Todd and his girlfriend, Sky kindly invite us back to their place where they were staying. They are really two incredible human beings, and we're so grateful for them providing us a place to record this one. So anyway, we went back to their place, and, and prior to the podcast, Todd set up his very interesting light machine, which is called a Pandora Star, and actually allowed us to experience his new brainwave powerful light entrainment device that he has actually co-developed. It was such a trippy experience. And it's an experience, to be honest, that I still need to come come back to in terms of actually thinking about what really happened. And I really need to digest it. But if you want to check out and see our experience with the device, there is also a video of mine and Chris's experience that we've actually put in the show notes for you so you can see what it was all about. And the link to more information about the device is also in the show notes as well. So anyway, just before we do jump this one, I just want to say thanks so much to all the incredible people over at Patreon who do support the podcast. It really means a lot to us. And, it, and you guys who do support the podcast, we really, I really do mean it when I say this, that this interview and, the, and other interviews that we actually did at this festival this weekend really wouldn't have been possible with, without your support. It really, I, and I, I really do mean that. And for anyone who hasn't yet, decided to become a Patreon member yet and wants to really help us take this to another level 
and help us put in place some more of these in-person conversations just like this one and the ones coming up. It would be amazing if you could just consider joining the Patreon community and support the podcast. And when you also become a Patreon member by donating whatever amount each month you can, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to all the content that is available to Patreon subscribers. And on that Patreon page as well, we're constantly adding new amazing bonus content and like i mentioned before there is a new conversation of that main chris recorded driving down to the festival and also last week's amazing mindful practice with will johnson is also on there which is a very interesting mindful practice and there's also many other interesting rants on there so if you want to gain access to all that all you need to do is sign up for any patreon tier by going to ascend podcast patreon page and if you can support the podcast that is also absolutely fine we understand it we just really appreciate the fact that you're listening to this thing so anyway without further ado enjoy this episode with todd Yeah, so anyway, Todd, thank, thank you so much for doing this with our podcast with us as well. And um, what was the light device called we just used? Pandora there? Star. Pandora Star, yeah. So me and Chris have just actually, me and you have both just sort of experienced the Pandora Star and um, such an incredible device. Could you actually just go a bit further in it just to sort of paint a bit more context for the listener as well? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a brainwave entrainment device and it's designed to... Uh, I would like to say gently guide the brain, yeah. but uh, you would probably counter that. And so that was nothing gentle about that. <laughs> no, it's kind of like you thrust into this whole massive, incredible experience. <laughs> uh, you did try Acid Squirrel, which is uh, one of our most uh, sort of uh, psychedelic programs. So uh, for majority of people, we would not start them on that session. But I thought it better to give you a really mind-blowing experience. Throw a straight yeah. in the, uh, the yeah, deep, deep exactly. end. exactly. The deep end it was indeed. So... <laughs> But that's just the fun part of it. You know, the deep end of consciousness is is, is an amazing journey. Uh, but yeah, so Pandora Star is a brainwave entrainment device. And uh, we can guide the brain to any frequency between 0.1 hertz, which is a frequency lower than delta called epsilon. And we can go all the way up to over uh, 200 hertz into the lambda frequencies. So we can pretty much cover the currently known human brainwaves. That's very interesting because oh. when we actually when, when I first when I first did that experience there, cause, so for me anyway, and Chris Chris was the same as well. I, I want to ask him his opinion on this as well. But I've never took psychedelics. I've I've had um, cannabis and things like that, but I've never had psychedelics, and that was exactly what I already, already sort of imagined what psychedelics would be like. The state that it took us into, and I, when I had that first experience there, like I said to you earlier, it felt as though this whole sense of love was just and gratitude was just flowing through my whole vessel and that's why I was actually laughing and sniggering because yeah. it, it just a feeling that I couldn't I couldn't explain and it actually reminded me of um, there's a there's a famous artist um, called uh, do you know who Naz is or not you know who Naz is yeah, don't yeah. you the rap- yeah the rapper but he says in one of his songs he says it says I'll probably butcher this but he says explain me a, he says explain to me a colour that you've never seen before and that's all I was thinking of when you would, when I was doing that, like, yeah. because it just seemed to me that there was this these sense of loads these colours and patterns that I'd, I, you can't explain with words, but something that I've never colours that I'd never seen before. Yeah, I think it's patterns and symbols which you, it's just just thrown into this different aspect of like what shapes could actually become, 
and like you're seeing all these movement patterns and your brain's just trying to figure out and decode them but at the end of the day there's nothing to decode about it it's just a beautiful in- incredible experience which you just need to well, th- transcend th- over to you indeed and i think the you know it's showing us you know the indigenous language of the of the mind i think is ge- yeah. geometry mm-hmm. and uh you know no matter what how we program you know the you know the light we can't get instructed to show you specific uh geometry so your brain is constantly interpreting the different frequencies it'll come up with colors shapes it's it's literally doing everything uh, and it's and it's no different from psychedelics like uh, something like um, LSD. LSD bypasses the normal communication channel of the brain. The flickering light can do exactly the same thing. So you're getting more uh, simultaneous uh, different regions of the brain sort of communicating simultaneously. Yeah. Wow. So do you do you think that everyone experiences? So we all play a certain type of music. There, me and Chris both play the same type of music. But do you think that every, everyone experiences different colors and different patterns to their sort of own who, person who they are? For sure. And uh, depending on how deep people go, we've had people go into deep trance within less than 20, 30 seconds of starting oh. the device. So people, if they go into deep trance, they can literally go into a state of experiencing you know, what we call hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And that'll have absolutely nothing to do with the light at that point. So the brain is no longer interpreting exclusively the light you've entered a trance state and therefore an altered state which could lead them into you know a type of -of out-of-body experience that we would call something like a uh, a mental uh, projection so or they could have their clairvoyance tuned in from from the light just within 20 30 seconds so they could literally be experiencing another dimension of reality beyond what we're seeing on the surface so sorry i was just gonna say something that that i was actually questioning after i came out of it was after, um, what is the more experience for the um for us? Is it the sound? Is it or is it the light that's really? I know it's both of it together, but what to the human body is more powerful? Is it the light or is it the sound? Well, uh, I think they each have their 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 uh, sort of benefits, and the the brain can process sound uh, quicker than uh, you know light through the visual pathway, but light through the visual pathway can entrain the brain much quicker, um, you know, three to five times quicker, in, in fact. So, um, you know, we could do the same session again without sound and maybe just, uh, uh, you know, sort of put some some sort of uh, ear sort of defenders on you so you're not going to get much ambient sound and you'll still have a very powerful experience. So most of what you experienced just now was the light. Uh, but the the sound, because we synchronized that session, it did play a role, but it, it, it was more of a role of immersion. So it was completing the immersion. Wow. Yeah. I was actually thinking, have you actually experienced, tried that with 3D sounds? Uh, we have. That's what I was thinking of when we I was have, doing it. We have. And uh, I mean, there's there's not much we haven't tried with it yet, but 3D sounds is pretty cool as, as well. And we're designing some sessions specifically around 3D sounds at the moment. So. Yeah. See where we go with that. So this is this is a bit this is a deep question. There's one out there. Something I was thinking of when I was actually under the light device. But I was actually thinking. So you know all these different patterns. So if we are, see if Chris has seen different light patterns and different like, colors to where I am. Do you do you think that we're actually? So if the, if it's not the light, if it's not the it's the sense, because I actually don't think that if it is some some if it is different for Chris and it is different for me, I don't think it's to sense. It's like the light that's doing it. It's something else that we are actually connecting to that. It's hard to explain, but it just seems to me that there's something, there's something that 
Chris is connecting to that's a bit different to me. That's not to do with the device. Well, I think when we start looking at it from a metaphysical perspective, um, you know, it is going to be a, a bit deeper in you know, you're, it's not just your brain that's processing this stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's your mind. You know, your your whole energy field is is uh, sort of joining in this and creating the experience. You know, where medical science still, I guess, on a mainstream level, uh, is stuck with the paradigm that uh, you know consciousness is a byproduct of the brain. Uh, from my perspective, uh, without a doubt, you know, through the uh, the research and the experiences that I've had. It is completely the other way around for me. It is always the consciousness creating all of this. Mm. So um, consciousness being the fundamental is at the heart of this stuff. So yes, um, that's that's a big part of you know each individual session. Yeah, has that understanding that you said there, like like obviously sort of consciousness is the creator of this reality and things like that. Do you have did you come to that realization through? Because obviously I know that you sort of you, you're uh, so you have a lot of out of body experiences. You experience the dream well, just the dream well. Is that really sort of solidified that in your mind? Because for me on my journey, that's one of the main things for me, especially the lucid uh, when I have vivid lucid dreams. It really solidifies in my mind that gives us that understanding. Is that what what give you the understanding? I th- you know pretty much yeah. I think um, you know for me I had a near death experience uh, when I was five years old. Oh. Fell into a, a, a pond and had a classic sort of near-death experience. And so for me, it's 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 really started, like you were saying, sort of uh, that realization was from a much younger age uh, and, you know, started having experiences right after that uh, near-death experiences within a few months of that, uh, lucid dreams, and then it was out-of-body experiences. And I was showing first and foremost that physicality was not exclusive, you know, to, to the earth plane or, or you know, the physical uh, universe, mm. and I think this is one of the things that makes people skeptical of different ideas, such as things like the um, um, simulation hypothesis. You know, we're really conditioned with physicality, and I think once you start to realize that, you know, this is just shifting. You know, it's a, a shifting consciousness from one state to another state. It opens up so many doors and so many avenues for exploration, and more questions than than answers sometimes. Yeah. So what's been some of the transformations that you've seen through the progress of this machine? I've actually, for the, for the machine itself, mm. um, we're, we have about 300 of these machines worldwide that we've, we've sold. And we've got you know, people, uh, sort of healers using them. We have scientists using the lights. We have them in a few hospitals, um, not using with patients, but you know, using them behind the scenes to uh, do EG sort of correlation with the frequencies, etc. Um, we have psychologists using the light. And I mean, we just have people taking this in so many different directions. We have artists, uh, musicians using the light. Uh, we have float tank centers. So you know, to get even more, uh, you know, uh, sensory deprivation, and then using the light, it's it's really quite amazing. And so, and the whole process is being driven by the user community. Uh, so we have all the uh, owners of the light in one online forum, and they're constantly driving the actual you know development, uh, and which is exciting for us. Yeah, that's cool. I want to go back as well. Cause I want to touch a bit as well because I know that when you were very young, when you had your first out-of-body experience, and um, I wanted to, I definitely want to delve a bit there as well because it's, it's very interesting to me. But um, when you, I mean, how old were you when you had your first ex- out-of-body experience? Because I know that you were very, you were young, weren't you? Yeah, it was just after my sixth birthday, 
and it was um, it sort of followed from lucid dreams and and that was the curious thing as a child I, when the lucid dreams started happening I could easily put two and two together and realize that you know it was a dream and I was now able to sort of interact in the dream and I'm obviously now I'm articulating this as an adult would uh, but yeah. you know I wouldn't have been able to have been so sort of uh, articulate at that age and what was you know happening uh, when the out of body experience the out of body experiences started happening uh, it was very different from the lucid dreams the lucid dreams uh, the dream phenomena you know I'd always wake up within an experience so wake up within a dream itself um, I would never be in my bedroom if I was in an environment I was familiar with there was no f- high fidelity it was always you know yeah. it was different um, there was you know it was always HD quality you know, high definition uh, very realistic very solid uh, but when I started having the out-of-body experiences, I would always be woken from sleep. So I'd be in a sleep, and then suddenly I'd have powerful energy uh, sort of sensations oh, around the body. Wow. And again, I'm ar- articulating this as an adult. Um, you know, I didn't have these different labels and ways of explaining it. But I was basically being woken from sleep, uh, deep sleep sometimes, uh, but mostly sort of REM sleep. And then I would have this uh, same phenomena where it would feel like I was on a roller coaster. And then I would be standing in the middle of my bedroom, which wow. was an exact duplicate of my bedroom. And so that, you know, even as a child, I knew something different was happening. I just didn't have the labels at the time. Yeah. Can you can you remember? I know it's hard thinking back. but I mean, so for me and Chris anyway, I mean, Chris, we've been later in our years where we've been experiencing out-of-body experience. I know when I was younger, I had dreams when I was a lot younger. But... I mean, you. I know that you. You're through your story. You. You were young, and you were experiencing all these different sort of out-of-body experiences from a very young age, and you were sort of coming to understanding that these were part of your life. I mean, how did, how did you sort of process that when you were a young young child? Yeah, um, it, it's it can be very uh, confusing and very alienating, uh, because I found that. You know, it's the classic thing when you when you have something happening to you, like the lucid dream stuff in yeah. particular. A lot of children do. They assume it's normal. They assume everybody's doing it. And when they do start to communicate what's taking place, yeah. and they realize very quickly that no, not everybody's experiencing this. Yeah. And even sometimes when people do, they just don't. They don't want to be labeled, you know, or marginalized because of the experiences they're having, because they're not considered normal or mainstream and I find that's very damaging and I think you know as a society the more and more within these communities like the uh, consciousness exploration or uh, spiritual communities to really embrace this more even things like death we just don't talk about it and I think it's it's damaging to to you know pretty much all of us um, because you know we're not really living we're either obsessing about the past or yeah. we're sort of stress, you know, in stress or ang- and having anxiety about the future. So none of us are truly present on a on a yeah. sort of predominantly throughout the day yeah. because of it. Why do you actually think um, society actually does that? Why do you think society doesn't build emphasis around this? Because I know in my my life and Chris's life as well, and obviously your life as well. The more you, the more we build emphasis around. Even have this having this conversation now, the more we build emphasis around these topics, the more excitement it brings to me, and the more wonder in this, and it makes me actually understand and realize that. The world is a complete beautiful and myst- mysterious place, but I mean, why do you think society like doesn't want us to know that sort of truth? I think you know a lot of people would say it boils down to you know power, yeah. and I would agree. I would agree to a large um, you know to a large level of that, and uh, I think when we do see that you know there is these controlling aspects to 
society on this, you know, to the earth plane, uh, to the physical universe. Uh, it does seem to be that, you know, we, I don't think man in our current uh, sort of, uh, uh, sort of uh, incarnation is, you know, it's, it's something new. I think we've been around for a lot longer than, than what, you know, sort of uh, geolo- um, archaeology or whatnot will tell us. But unfortunately, in science, you have most scientists, they're in a box and they have to stay in that box. If they've specialized in a certain area, they're not encouraged to speak outside that area. So they're not really encouraged. Like an archaeologist is not heavily encouraged to speak with the geologist, yeah. you know. So it's very compartmentalized. And I think um, because academia is now... Uh, you know, you know, sort of taken over where religion, you know, uh, was at one point. Um, you know, people put a lot of emphasis on science, and unfortunately, uh, because there's still stigma around the areas that we're exploring, uh, or they've been explored in the past. Uh, but you know, the science that we do see when we do see research papers and when we do see sort of articles, um, we're probably seeing ten percent of what they actually want us to see. Uh, there's a lot of control behind the scenes, and um, I think you know this is unfortunate for uh, for us, and it has slowed down our development at this point. Uh, but you know, this is these are personal journeys. This is not science for us. You know, when people come to my workshops, you know, I really emphasize that with them. You know, treat it like science on your own personal yeah. journey, because I think it's important for us to really um, not to dupe ourselves, to really understand what what's happening. But it's still a personal journey. It's yeah. not a scientific you know experience uh, for people. It was actually as well as um, I was watching a, um, a TED talk. I think it was a TED talk, but it was a, there was a scientist on that. And he was talking about. He said just what you said. He said actually become the scientist of your own mind, and I, I love that because that's exactly what you were saying there. Sort of, yes, people can show you and direct you in certain ways, but ultimately you're going to have your own journeys, and you're going to you need to sort of become the scientist of your own mind. And yeah. so, something before I want to ask you as well. I mean, do you? I mean, why do you think this is a big question? But why do you think we actually have the ability to sort of lucid dream and have the ability to sort of astral projector or body because it's you know it goes beyond the fundamental time and space are not fundamental to our to our you know who we are consciousness is so it is it should be natural for everyone but unfortunately we're dealing with uh diets that are that are very poor uh that don't lend to having these experiences we're being bombarded with uh unnatural um radiation signals that are completely messing around with the the human nervous system, and to me, the human nervous system is the is the psychic antenna to all that we are, to everything. And if we're not looking after that, if we're not cal- you know recalibrating it on a daily basis, you're not going to be very sensitive to energy. So I think you know it's natural for all of us to experience this because you know the the energy body is more fundamental than the physical body. The what we'd label and they're old terminology with you know the, from the theosophical society things like the etheric body or the astral body but they're labels that still s- serve to a degree you know these are more fundamental you know they they become these energy forms become more and more uh, subtle and ultimately you get you keep drilling deeper and deeper down and there's that core level of our consciousness and that is the fundamental for us personally um and so ultimately i expect everybody should have you know these experiences and a lot of children do you know, up to certain ages before, you know, the conditions of society, the the twin narratives from science and religion, you know, start to, you know, uh, sort of limit our, our experience. And then, of course, we have, like I said, things such as um, even the foods that we're eating because of the pesticides, because of, 
you know, the, the food, the way it's been changed so much, you know, we're not getting much nutrients. The body's not being supported. And certainly, again, the nervous system isn't. And everything that we entertain ourselves with. So if you're watching a soap opera, if you're watching, you know, you know Big Brother, um, you know, reality TV, that's entraining yeah. your brain. So everything you entertain entrains you. And therefore, it entrains the nervous system. And, and in a lot of cases, not not for the purpose of exploration. So if you want to explore, you know, deep, you really have to take care of yourself. You have to meditate on a regular basis. You have to, you know, really set the intent. You have to look after yourself. And, and you know, even sometimes it's not about um, the knowledge. It's about the guidance, you know, you know, having good guidance on how to employ that knowledge. Uh, so there's a lot going on, but it's, it's natural to all of us because, again, time and space are, are not the fundamental. Yeah. How, how are you actually, how are you, I mean, because I think it's probably a good little place to go. I mean, how do you really develop that guidance? Have you? De- I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of accumulation of a lot of stuff. So obviously, even you, I know that you see out of body experiences as a practice. You see the dream realm as a practice. But how have you really sort of cultivated that? Have, how how long has it took you to really sort of cultivate that understanding around that that importance around developing these pra- developing this structure in your life to sort of support that understanding? Well, like I said, um, age five near-death experience and it was a it was a really powerful experience um, you know very classic and it's uh, sort of uh, the way it came about with a flash of bright light yeah. um, and then suddenly uh, feelings of tranquility uh, I was really relaxed you know I went from um, you know falling into a pond and and temporarily panicking to now being completely okay yeah. with the fact that I was in another I was in a city environment. Um, you know, I, I went from being in the middle of a, of a wooded environment with, with a pond to now being in a city environment and not really deeply questioning that or, or having fear around it. Mm. And it also, what was curious was, I sometimes say it's kind of like the film Limitless. You know, my mind became so crystal clear. It was like it was no longer exclusively a, a five-year-old mind. Um, and, you know, it was quite a phenomenal experience. So, from a very young age, you know, I was starting to recalibrate. I was starting to realize that there was more to reality than what would first appear. And I think, you know, so for me, it was being cultivated from my experiences. Got to a point a couple months later when I started having the lucid dreams and the out-of-body experiences, it became a nightly affair to the point to where my mother um, started realizing something was happening and she would start keeping a journal for me. And you know, we talk about it. And because I felt really supported by my mother, um, you know, it just became uh, a natural part of my life. That's cool. I love yeah. that. Because I think a lot of a lot of uh, parents would probably just turn around and would say, oh, just forget about it, just forget about it. But I loved how your, your mom actually sort of cultivated that and brought it out. Yeah, I think that's really, really incredible. And I think a lot of people could learn from that with their, with their children as well. I think a lot of people are scared of it uh, though as well. Or a lot of mothers will be more frightened. So they'll be like, oh, that oh, Todd, he's actually experiencing these something mm, completely yeah. unnatural. Let's get him to the doctor, and the doctor will say, "No, <laughs> you're gonna have to take one of these." Yeah, take a pill. Yeah, you take- know that's really interesting that you say that. No, uh, but, a no, couple of years ago, I went. Um, I used to I used to hitchhike all the time when I was younger, and before I moved to the UK. But after a couple, um, I think it was the after the first ten years I was here, I decided I wanted to start hitchhiking again, mm. but do it in completely different ways. Whereas in the US. Um, typically when you're hitchhiking, you'd maybe get a bit of cardboard, you'd get a marker and you'd write like a destination on it. And, you know, that would just make it easy. So you get long haul lifts and, you know, you get to where you're going faster. 
But when I was hitchhiking over here and I started having these experiences and I started deciding to myself, there was a destination as such. It wasn't about that. Um, so I would write things like maybe the astral planes on a bit of cardboard. Yeah. And I would know that not many people would pick me up because they wouldn't know what that was. But that was fine because when eventually somebody did pick me up, it would give us the green light to go deep conversation-wise very quickly. And on this one occasion, this uh, this man picked me up. And within minutes, we were past the, you know, the normal sort of uh, accepted stuff you talk about, you know, name, what do you do for a living? Yeah. And he went right into telling me about his uh, dreams. He goes into lucid dreams the moment he falls into sleep. And he stays there for basically eight hours, lucid dreaming the entire eight hours. And he's an engineer. And he was basically saying to me that, um, you know, he would develop uh, new engineering tools within the dream state, wake up, write it all down. Uh, but his girlfriend thought there was something wrong with him and, and actually encouraged him to go to the doctor. And I was like, you got to be kidding. And the doctor <laughs> prescribed him something and he started taking the prescription drug. And within a short period, the stuff stopped. And I was just like, you know, what did you do? He said, well, I really enjoyed what was happening. So I stopped taking the drug and it came back again. Yeah. And so, no, the answer is not, you know, to medicate our children uh, when this stuff happens. I think, you know, it is again, like you were saying, it's um, about cultivating you know what's you know this this uh, deeper consciousness. You know this this the depth that is there to be experienced by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the energy body. What we would again label the astral body. And again, it's an old term, but just bear with me uh, because a lot of people in these circles would still use this terminology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think something like within the astral body, the energy body, we have memories from you know where where and who we were before we came into this body. You know, we're. We have uh, an essence that will survive death and precedes birth. And that information is, it's like an onion, you know, it's just layer after layer of, you know, these parallel lives and uh, what people might call past lives. But I think when you look at this from an even deeper level, you're seeing that lives are taking place, they seem to be taking place simultaneously. So at some point you have to sort of get past the, the time aspect of it. Uh, because like in dreams or what they might Hollywood might describe through a film like Inception, you know, five minutes here seems like an yeah. hour in dreamland. It's not exactly like that. It really depends on the level of consciousness you're exploring from. Yeah. Do you, do you, here's, a, here's a question because I've got to ask this question. I mean, with all that being said as well, I mean, where do you think we actually actually access that information from? Like, is it? Have you are you familiar with the work of um, Irvin Lazanzo? Where he talks about the Kashuk records. No, but I'm well versed on the Kashuk. Uh, yeah, I mean, stuff. do you do you think it's something like that? Because I know as well that this has been talked through many um, ancient cultures. Where I mean, the Egyptians slightly touched on this as well, but even the Australian Aborigines talked about how they were sort of accessing these, gaining these, having these altered states of consciousness and they were accessing this information. Wherever this information is, I don't know what it is. I don't fully understand it. But have you ever like sort of thought where these, where this sort of, where these past lives are being stored? I mean, is it being, I don't know, like, have you ever thought about that? It comes across when, when I've had out-of-body experiences and I've um, discussed this with other very experienced out-of-body explorers, um, sometimes metaphors come through when we're accessing the case. Yeah. And I think it depends on the time period and yeah. their metaphors for those time periods. You know, in the past, it might have been, um, you know, something like a library. Now it might be something more akin to a computer. Yeah. And, and I think that'll continue to change with each generation, you know, and their metaphors and how they view reality. Um, so I've experienced it in those different sort of ways because those are still metaphors and ideas that, you know, I've, I've grown up with. Um, but the moment, for example, if you're in a, an environment that seems like a library, if you're really 
aware that ultimately what you're doing is you're projecting an idea or, um, you know, whatever's in your mind that can be used to help you experience the reality, which ultimately where these, this information is being stored, it's formless. Yeah. It's a formless environment. Uh, but, you know, fundamentally when you're dealing with consciousness, it's a formless, it seems to be a formless intelligent substance. And most of us are heavily conditioned with form-based environments like physical reality, like our dream realities. Um, you know, they have form, they have substance, um, you know, as a solid sort of uh, uh, physicality. Uh, but when accessing what we call the akasic, ultimately, once you, once you get past the metaphor, uh, how it presents itself, you can, you know, access records that seem to be from everything that's been actualized from the past, everything that's taking place in real time, and probable futures. And let's say, for example, if you access a, uh, an actualized um, event from the past, it literally can unfold in almost like a dream environment will incubate um, immediately. Yeah. And you're experiencing it as if, you know, it's as solid and physically real from that timeline. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. I've experienced um, when pulling records um, from aspects of me in parallel lives, and I literally suddenly I'm in a very physical, realistic body in a very physically realistic place, and I'm watching it unfold in front of me. Wow. So when ac- accessing the Akasic from an out-of-body persp- perspective is very different from accessing it from, say, for example, using your clair senses. Because when you're using like clairvoyance, clairaudience, usually it's the information is you know being sent to you, or and you're, you're sort of more of an observer. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the out-of-body state, you are completely interactive within the experience. Well, no, like I was just going to say something. Yeah, I mean, I know the the Akasic records they they pull on from all like lives from past future and uh, i mean i was just actually thinking there i'm because to be honest like straight after the i used the machine there um i was sitting in here for about uh for the first 10 minutes of this podcast with a deja vu experience Mm. and the deja vu experience was completely me sitting here three microphones and i couldn't remember who you two were and i was I, i had this experience like completely clear just as it is now and this was years and years ago where I had this yeah. and I, as soon as I was here I actually came straight back to the point of like remembering that like of <laughs> seeing this seeing this <laughs> and I think that machine might have just brought that out of me itself uh, it's funny because when you said deja vu there actually oh, that was a question it's funny how Chris said deja vu because it was a question I want to ask you around deja vu because do you think that that's what deja vu is? I mean, there's loads. I know there's lots of theories around what deja vu is. I mean, I, I have a, I have a theory. Well, I have a theory. I have lots of theories. Yeah. But one of my theories is that I haven't really heard many people explore. We ex- talked about this. Had a, like basically, could be just talking out on your ass basically. But <laughs> I had a theory that maybe that deja vu could be sort of linked with DNA. So like when um, we we are having past life experiences, maybe it's being passed down in some form of DNA. Because in the in the book, the Cosmic Serpent. Jeremiah Nobby like makes a very interesting statement there. He says that DNA is actually kind of wrapped around the earth five million times. But he also in that he talks about how like there's certain scientists now working on how DNA is structured to a sensor. Scientists are now working on embedding data into the DNA. <coughs> so I'm asking asking the question is is deja vu DNA or is could deja vu be actually something bigger or something deeper? I think uh, we're dealing <coughs> potentially with uh, different explanations and uh, not the case of um, 
one being more right than others. Uh, I think as an example from my personal experience is what I'm going to have to go with. Mm. So let's say, for example, I've been out of body and, um, and a lot of uh, um, teachers from many different um, uh, sort of practices and uh, methodologies will report stuff very similar. Like if you go to a Buddhist practitioner, um, if you go to the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, a, you know, Zen teacher, you sometimes you get the feeling that let's say we have a like we have our big nine day event every year. It's called OBE France. And we usually have 45 to 50 participants. Usually 10 to 15 percent of the participants will experience OB France before they arrive through a dream state, through an out-of-body experience. And this is typically what happens. Our our energy is always preceding us, it seems. So um, you could have an experience out of body or or in a dream and then uh, have that same experience the next day and you've completely forgotten the dream or the OB that took place. Uh, Even very experienced out-of-body explorers and lucid dreamers can have a fully conscious lucid experience and then forget it upon awaking and then remember it later in the day. Like, how can I forget that? I was fully conscious in that experience. Yeah. So for a lot of people, they're, they're having the experience, sometimes days, if not weeks, if not months, and sometimes years in another reality frame before it happens here. Yeah. I've also been witness on what we, again, it's, a, it's an old philosophical label, but it still applies to today because a lot of people use it, the astral planes. We're just dealing with another level of consciousness, but... I've been on those levels many times now. Um, I probably had more than a thousand very conscious experiences. And what I mean by conscious, I have to have full waking consciousness before I would label it a conscious enough experience. I have to remember I'm Tadakamesis, what planet I'm from, yeah. uh, what city I'm currently living in, where I left my body. Did I leave it on the sofa tonight, on the reclining chair? Am I under a pyramid? You know, if I can remember all that stuff while in another dimensional reality, then I'm, I'm conscious enough. Yeah. And from there, I mean, I've visited, um, you know, levels where they're literally creating holograms within holograms. So they might they may not realize that their level of reality in itself is a projection, yeah. but they have technology where they create, you know, projected environments um, to where they practice before they come here to this level. Um, I've been in environments where they're fully aware of the technology that's in use on those levers where they've created, recreated Earth within almost like a holodeck idea yeah, from Star Trek, you know, uh, and they practice their life plan before coming here. Now, if you can imagine sometimes these people completely mapping out their life plan and playing it out for real on another level of reality, and then suddenly their energy body gets melded to, you know, a growing fetus in a woman's womb, and they can still be moving between the womb and the astral planes uh, during the nine-month yeah. uh, uh, sort of um, pregnancy. And after birth, children can, you know, can still have a, a high-level consciousness after birth up to a couple of years, I've found. So you know, sometimes they're remembering you know, deja vu will be the memory of an experience that was practiced on another level of reality. So I think it can, it can take – there's many definitions, many sort of reasons for it. Yeah. And I think the DNA thing is a perfectly acceptable, yeah. you know, description I, too. I love that. And there's a question from that I want to ask. Uh, do you think as well that, uh, that that ability to sort of tap into that knowledge – I mean, so, so, so for you anyway, you're somebody who does have a lot of – You, I would class you as somebody who can access that information a lot more than the sort of the average dual, let's sort of say. But – do you think that people are still um, sort of subconsciously actually being able to access information? So I'll explain what I mean a bit further. So I know my life that 
there is maybe, like you said, there, there is a possibility of parallel universes or we, we have the ability to tap into sort of past events or future events, whatever it is. But I think maybe what I'm thinking is, is that we still, have, because there's times in my life where my intuition guides us. So there's things in my life where I'll say, even the name of this podcast, something guided and said, oh, you need to change the name of the podcast from this to rescind. And I'm actually asking the question, is that, am I actually, without without really knowing it, without actually saying that, like having a vision or something like that, is the is my gut, my intuition actually really tapping into that already? So is it already, do you actually think there's already people on the planet, so, like consciously or subconsciously actually, tapping into that without really realizing oh all that's the time what's, that's what it is I think what even, even somebody who consider themselves you know really mainstream um you know let's say let's just take a you know person who works at the bank mm-hmm. and they they have a strong gut feeling about something they might describe it in a different way yeah, yeah. Mm. um you know but gut feelings you'll hear business people and everyday people talk about gut feelings yeah. all the time they may not understand the depth of it but it, they're not denying that you know, there's a part of them, even if it's the subconscious that they're dependent on or part of the explanation. Because when you look at the subconscious, uh, and this may not be the best way to describe it because it's not exactly accurate uh, uh, description. But if you were to suggest that the subconscious can process something like 44 million bits of information per second compared to the conscious mind, maybe 100 bits of information per second. And you look at something like a good portrayal of that, like uh, a savant, somebody who has savant syndrome, uh, a good uh, sort of... Uh, um, uh, uh, sort of description of that was from the film Rain Man with yeah. Dustin Hoffman yeah. and you know dropped a box of matches and instantly the calculation was correct you know something like 64 matches on the floor <laughs> two still in the box and that was instantaneous you know that is showing the power of the subconscious but none of us are islands you know we're all you know, sort of uh, um, can interconnected on a on a deeper level of the mind. So all the subconscious uh, is is interconnected, and I think when you deal in the sort of the super state of consciousness, then ultimately you've you've always got access to you know uh, all the information that's out there. And yes, people tap into it in different ways, and they will label it different things. Uh, but it it doesn't stop it from you know what's actually taking place. And I think for you know where we're at, um, sitting around this table and yeah. talking from the perspective of metaphysics and accepting this yeah. as a reality because of our personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know, yes, we can have information uh, that's uh, downloaded to us in dream states, and we wake up. Sometimes people wake up from from a dream and they suddenly feel like they have to go out and learn Reiki, yeah. uh, and they didn't realize that the night before they were actually on another plane of reality learning a healing modality which is now inspiring them on this level of reality because that's part of their evolution on this level of reality it's part of getting back uh, activating certain aspects of their life plan so i think we intuition is you know tied directly into the nervous system mm. you know um and and we feel this stuff you know we feel it we you know and we and we sort of can take action based on it and people do all the time and and they and it's the when we then have the experience the experience validates the intuition and i think that's what really helps people progress their journey they they have this intuition maybe uh, earlier in the day then they have an experience that that totally validates it yeah. and it then gives them the green light to trust their inner guidance even more yeah i love that by the way yeah. and it's interesting Powerful, yeah it? <laughs> it's interesting to me how it, it is our int- intuition or sense gets squished down to a certain degree where society sort of just doesn't really value is that as is a real sort of 
sort of a, a real tool that you can use in your life. But, but then it, again, sorry, I didn't interrupt. Yeah. But then again, a lot of like people, like sports stars, politicians who've made it to the, like the highest level, like um, John F. Kennedy, they always used like intuition yeah. and good instincts to get them there because they just followed what was in their heart. And I'm yeah. not sure if it's the good or the heart or the mind really speaking. It's it always says it's the good because it always yeah. feels like it stems from the good. Yeah. And, and think about, I mean, everybody, you know, think about the language we use. We go into a particular t- part of town and we suddenly feel like, I don't like the vibe of this place. Or, you know, you, you come up, um, you know, you meet a new person and then, you know, you say to your friend later, I just didn't like, you know, there was something my, you know, that I just didn't like. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. something that was just saying, you know, there's the, and we're picking stuff up and we're just applying different labels. But uh, uh, reality at large, people at large, society at large, you know, just because we're suppressing it or it's being suppressed doesn't mean people aren't experiencing it. Mm-hmm. It's like the out-of-body state. Uh, William Bowman, who's an amazing out-of-body explorer who, you know, you should uh, speak to at some point. I actually had him on the podcast. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. You know, he did a survey where, you know, over, um, you know, he's had thousands, tens of thousands of people complete this survey. And, you know, he's shown that more than 25% of, you know, Americans in particular, because that's where the survey was mostly done, have had out-of-body experiences. Oh. Um, sleep paralysis uh, is is one of the biggest keyword searches in Google on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, monthly, right? it's 400,000 searches monthly. You know, the, the word God as a search term is 600,000. So sleep paralysis getting it is almost as much as, the, as, as a religious term. So there's a lot more people looking into this stuff than, than what we're being told. Yeah. More than 90% of the people on the planet subscribe to religion. You know, and in, with religion, they have their own terminology, their their own sort of language that they use. Um, but, you know, those, they're still feeling they're being guided. Like, um, you know, you'll hear people talk about guiding, guardian angels. Yeah. Uh, most religions, you know, people will feel like they've been steered away from danger. You know, their, their senses, they're picking up this stuff and they're yeah. following it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, in business people, sports stars, like you pointed out. People are, you know, using this stuff to make really good decisions and sometimes life-saving decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we've talked about this before on the podcast as well, but I said that's one one of the main reasons why there is this, this there is a whole resurgence of people actually looking at these deeper topics and actually questioning, asking questions in themselves and in, in themselves because deep down for me anyway the, one of the main thing that connects all of us all human beings on this planet is them bigger questions like where are we what are we doing where are we from where do we go when we die things like that and that's what I think fundamentally people know deep down in the heart like I do the same when I'm driving to work in the morning these questions every now and again they'll, they'll flash in your mind and they'll give you glimpses and it, it inspires you to sort of it just it just it's just there's a little, that little gut instinct that's saying there's more there's something more and I Ask promise you I promise you Dan and Chris everybody on this planet these are the big questions that keeps everybody awake at night. Yeah. Whether you think it is or not, yeah. even the people who are repressing it, these big questions still come up. And, you know, these questions then start to link into things such as, you know, what's my purpose? You know, or the, people feel like they want to make a contribution yeah. and from all walks of life. Yeah. You know, even again, sports stars, you know, they'll be like, there must be something more. Yeah. You know, we all feel it. This is fundamental to who we are, regardless of whether we've been conditioned by those twin narratives of science and religion, no matter if we've had a level of uh, sort of um, programming with any sort of psyops, any sort of projects, you know, in the past where you know, there's been a level of mind control, because that's a reality too. Yeah. You know, the flickering light that you guys tried, Pandora Star, that's yeah. an excellent example of, you know, t- how technology can either be used in good ways or bad ways. Yeah. And if it's used in bad ways, then of course, you know, 
then it's being used in the service of, you know, for fear instead of the service of love. Um, so, you know, people who are, you know, asking these big questions, they may not be, you know, sort of, they just, it's a trust thing. Do you trust the people around you enough to talk to you about the biggest things that are keeping you awake at night? And this yeah. is a part of it. You know, trust is a big thing and trust has been damaged big time because of our, our conditioning. You know, people feel victim to, you know, things. They feel helpless. Um, they feel out of control. And when you feel these ways, you know, it, it, again, it is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a trust issue and it's people learning once again, self-forgiveness, you know, is a powerful tool. This is one of the main reasons why I meditate, you know, because it's a vehicle for me to get quiet, get beyond my fear mind, get beyond my blaming and my shaming other people and getting into who I really am. So I can then start to actually properly recalibrate my nervous system mm -hmm. by doing forgiveness work, doing self-forgiveness work, you know, that'll then lead on to me feeling I can trust myself to where in the past, maybe I've allowed things to happen. I've allowed people to do things or I've enabled stuff to happen, like with po politics, you know, yeah. we've all enabled. And this is why we're in the mess we are, because we've all sort of sat back and allowed things to happen. And now we have to sort of trust that we don't have to keep allowing it to happen, that we can trust we can start the process of moving forward and, and bringing about harmony for our yeah, planet. Yeah, Tora, yeah. Oh, sorry, Dan, I was just going to say, Tora, um, Tora, I think as well, um, a lot of people right now, especially with like the law of attraction coming out, they discredit a lot of things like negativity, fear. But these have also used, been used as well as before as a catalyst for change within. And I think a lot of people kind of like don't want them in their life anymore. But instead of just embracing these challenges, embracing the fear, to push you on to become the next level of a human being because fear, hate, like intolerance, like these are human, like human emotions, which some people actually occur. I mean, all of us really have these emotions where we, where we fear things occasionally and it's, and it is a part of the human experience. So is it, is it okay to just discredit them completely and just say, try and take it out of their life? Should we have the yin without the yang? Would it all just be better if it was just, if we we're all whole? Personally, I think, um, you know, when we're looking at the deep spiritual traditions on the planet, there's there's no spiritual teaching that is going to give you a free pass and say you don't have to deal with your shadow. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very important for people to, you know, they we might have, a you know, these doubting uh, or questioning times or these moments where we have like even a dark night of the soul. But ultimately, this is allowing people to realize you know, there's a difference here, you know, difference between, you know, when people are in denial to this stuff, you know, it's because it hurts, you know, there's deep wounds here. And for people to admit that they're in that much pain, you know, can crush them to admit that they have so much darkness in them can can crush them to admit that they could do the things that we've done in our lives, you know, and, and look at that stuff, it, it can really, you know, like I said, it can hurt, it can it can crush mm. you. But it doesn't mean we don't look. It doesn't mean, you know, it just means that when we do look, we look with love because the problem yeah. is most people in the past have looked at this stuff with fear. They've looked at their problems with fear. They've looked at their, you know, their their lives and and what's come of it, the outer level of their life and, you know, or, or all the big problems in the world where we've been taught to look with fear. That's the dominant thought system at the moment yeah. is fear. Safety first. Thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you look with fear, you don't really know what to do because that's the, you know, you can't really change things through fear. You, you know, things really deeply change, you know, uh, with love. So it's learning to, to self-regulate, you know, our feelings, our thoughts. And, 
you know, for most of us, it's going to have to be baby steps. We take our time to do this, but ultimately, equally, like with Alcoholics Anonymous, it's realizing you need help. You realize you cannot do this on your own and you should not do this on your own. You know, like they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, your best thinking got you here. You know, now it's time to employ, you know, a new level of thinking because ultimately it's the higher level of thought that is going to, you know, sort of make the change because it's acting from the, um, the effect level that keeps you where you're at. It's acting from the, the causal level. It's acting from, uh, you know, the state of consciousness that helps the change. But a lot of people don't have this information. They don't have these realizations. Uh, and, you know, they might just go to a counselor where things are just being sort of, um, you know, they're just talking and somebody's listening or they go to a psychotherapist and they just find that there's endless problems and they suddenly get to yeah. a point and they might think, well, I'm the problem. And the problem there is when you think you are the problem, you don't think you can change. And so this is why we need more transparency in society. We need people to get to a point of being, um, you know, with empathy. So I can basically say, look, you know, because if somebody is listening to this podcast, they might think, oh, you know, Todd, Chris and Dan, they've got it all sorted out. I wish I could be more like them. But, you know, this is why it's 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 our responsibility right now to make sure your listeners realize that we have our problems too yeah. we have our issues and our challenges but the, the thing is we've learned to self-regulate more we've learned to soothe ourselves um, in times when a lot of times people will just sort of like you say deny this stuff and you're either doing one of a few things you're either you know the denial process is either you deny that these are your feelings because uh, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. So therefore, you either compress it into your own flesh, yeah. uh, into the shadow, or literally, you're projecting it onto other people and making it their problem. You're like, you're to blame for how I feel. Yeah. And the more responsibility we take for our thoughts, for our feelings, you know, we're starting to take responsibility for our experience of life. Things will start to shift. Yeah. But we need an inner support system as well as an outer support system. This is why I mentioned Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous, because without you know the the different support systems inwards and outwards we 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 feel alone we yeah. we you know the, the things like the feelings of shame literally make you spiral deeper into the darkness and when we start to realize that you know my problem i'm not my problems i'm not exclusively my thinking you can start to separate out the 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 human being the being from the problem and you can start to actually get help and that makes a huge difference but for a lot of people again you know they if you tell them something like all you have to do is change how you think most people don't you know they'll be like what are you talking about that's not going to work you know when the new thought movement started taking place back at the turn of the last century you know and this was you know um trying to get into the mainstream you know it's not quite that simple for people you know you know you 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 get to a point where you don't feel like you have a choice sometimes and that's because you know we our emotional muscles are weak we have these big intellectual muscles we intellectualize everything we're in our heads all the time we're stuck in our heads but it's the emotional muscles that are really going to carry us into the change itself because you know with the emotional muscles when something happens or when you're triggered and, a, you know, a memory comes up, a painful memory, because it's got a painful emotion associated with it. Yeah. When that stuff comes up, you know, the more of a sort of a, uh, your emotional muscles are developed, your emotional intelligence, the more of a choice space that you create for yourself. When you don't have, you know, emotional muscles um, that are very strong, it seems like your choice space is so small that it may seem non-existent. So the moment, you know, you get sort of stimulated or triggered, you react. 
when we start to develop those emotional muscles, more and more you get to actually sit back, look at what's taking place, realize, oh, that's my stuff, that's the other person's stuff. But it doesn't mean that you then only take 50% responsibility because only half of it's yours. You have to look at this and think, I'm not the only person in pain here. There are other people in pain. There are other people feeling unsafe. And so it's getting to a point to where you realize, I have to start taking more responsibility when, like they would say in a book called The Course in Miracles, when the person, if there's two people and they're in an argument or they have conflict, the one person who suddenly is less insane than the other, that person needs to start taking more responsibility. They need to start giving more. And that's like a true sign of a spiritual adult is that sort of giving energy, that that sort of generosity. And I find when you realize that other people are in pain too, you start to have more compassion. Uh, even when saying no, we yeah. have this expression in spiritual circles that, you know, uh, saying no can be one of the most unconditionally loving things to do. You know, if, if you know, there's a burning, you know, the, if there's a cinema and it's on fire, it's okay to shout fire if it's genuinely on fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. If it's not on fire, then, you know, then you're just being a bit of a jerk. <laughs> and at some point you're going to realize that that's not what the day calls for. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you do realize other people are in pain, you can start, you know, even if the situation involves you saying no, you can say no in loving ways. You can say no with, you know, compassion. You can say no with mercy. It doesn't always have to be no with fear. Yeah. This is when things genuinely start to change. And, you know, like Gandhi would say, the change we want to see in the world, you know, you have to be that change. You know, he's basically saying that, you know, as you start to change yourself, because we're all um, connected on a deeper level of consciousness, consciousness you know, the collective consciousness will start to change. Yeah. So it is an interchange that must occur. You know, if you want to see change in the world, see, let it start to happen. You know, start to take more responsibility. I think uh, that's a beautiful point, by the way. Um, something that, that I'm just going to make this a little bit personal for me at the moment. Just so might as well try and get some guidance out of it. Um, <laughs> something, I, like, uh, something which I always um, look for and vindicate straight away when I'm feeling anything is to just research it and look it up and like understand the science behind it and that's it and I'll feel like I've got my truth. Instead, I feel like I'm missing out on the whole experience of actually just living with the emotion and trying to understand what it truly is. So I think I am missing out. This is actually a battle that I face daily because I face like all these emotions inside. Instead of listening to them and trying to like communicate with what these emotions could be, I instead go into these deep battles like, oh, and I, I, as soon as I research this i'll study it understand it bang and and that's it i don't need to access the emotion even though the emotion will still be there i'll always feel like i've got this understanding of it just because i've read something instead of actually connected and you're really not alone there chris i mean this is a lot of a society where we're overly intellectualizing this where we we literally think you know intellectualizing is enough and it's really not Mm. um you could fully you know grasp something with logic and it's not going to change you know, you'll, it's like with money as a good example. A lot of people have a very bad relationship with money. And sometimes even in spiritual circles, you'll hear people say things like, we just need to get rid of money, replace it with the old barter systems. And it's like, no, yeah. you're acting from the effect level. You're not changing, you know, the consciousness behind this, you know. So let's say we get rid of money and we start sort of uh, exchanging services or, or things like pigs and chickens again. You haven't, cha- you, haven't you know, healed human greed 
you haven't healed that. Somebody's going to start hoarding pigs again. Yeah. Somebody's going to start hoarding something. You know, even if it's services, they're going to start, you know, sort of, you know, I'll go and I'll absorb this company or this company. And then I've got all the service sector sewn up. So now what have you got for me? Yeah. You know, so it's a control thing. It's it's this, you know, it's the, these deep wounds that need to be healed. And of course, you know, I, I get what you're saying when when you start to research this stuff and then you see the pain, you feel the painful feeling. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah, that knee jerk reaction is to suppress it again. Yeah. You know, there's so there's so much great. I mean, we were discussing it's some like a Chinese. Pill. It's like a pill, really, isn't it? Like this. Sorry, well, I didn't interrupt, but I'm just saying it's like a pill. <laughs> me going to the Internet, picking out a pill, going, I've taken it. No, I'm healed, that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. you're literally just, you know, you're again, you're acting from the effect level. You're 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 not looking at the cause. You're li- you're just looking looking at some you know, it, it just sort of covering masking over things, and that's not ultimately that's not doing any healing work whatsoever. It's not doing any inner work whatsoever. So you know, I can understand why people you know we we are afraid of the shadow. Um, you know, dreams are a good example of that. We have nightmares, and it's like um, I, when I teach lucid dream you know dream stuff, or people hear that I teach lucid dream stuff, they're like, "Why would I want to wake up in a nightmare?" You know, it's just like nobody really wants to look at their lives and you know realize that our lives can can be a nightmare um, financially, emotionally. Uh, we forget how much people matter to us. Mm, um, yeah. We forget how much we matter to other people. And I think it's when we start to have these deeper realizations. You know, this is what's going to take us to the to the change. You know, letting the emotional, you know, sort of muscles, like I said, be developed more and more. You know, I'm, and again, I want all your listeners to realize that <laughs> I still go through this stuff. I still struggle with this stuff. Yeah. You know, I have the knowledge, but the knowledge is not enough. You really have to, when, when something starts to happen, when you're starting to have, you know, you feel the trigger coming. Like for me, one of my go-to emotions is anger. So if you do something that triggers me in a certain way, you're going to get anger, yeah. you know, from me. And I, and it's right then and there, I have to sort of step back. And let that dark force just sort of not have too much of a grip in that moment. And I have to realize I have lessons here. My lessons are, you know, around anger that I have to be more patient with you. I have to be more compassionate towards you. And I have to understand that, you know, to cultivate that stuff, I have to allow myself to have, you know, the moment to, to actually do that inner work. Because yeah. again, yes, if I just think I'm doing the work by reading a book, you've, you've literally just absorbed more knowledge but you've not actually done anything mm-hmm. and the ego and when when um you know i'm talking about ego from this sort of uh, eastern philosophy where they're talking about the 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 part that split itself off from the reality of love uh the false self uh the fear mind in western psychology we use ego sometimes in the uh the form of uh, somebody's personality their character um i'm talking from the eastern philosophy so i'll just use the word fear mind you know, when the fear mind is heavily activated and you have very little emotional muscle, you know, you can get lost in this stuff. You can be overwhelmed by it. And it's understandable when we get a very strong, uncomfortable feeling why you'd want to sort of push it onto somebody else or, or bury it underneath the carpet because it's uncomfortable. And if you don't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. again, it might make you feel like you can't change, like mm-hmm. this is who you are. And when you feel that that's who you are, you really don't feel like you can change. Yeah. And that's that's where a lot of society is right now. We're feeling stress, anxiety, depression, and we're we're literally just masking this stuff with drugs. Yeah. We're ignoring this stuff. We're in total denial to it. And you know, we do need to cultivate a, a, a whole new paradigm when it comes to supporting each other, supporting yeah. people. You know, realizing that this is about empathy. You know, it's that classic 
male female sort of divide you know where you know we we you know are we've got a society where even men are being sort of um um you know our masculinity is is being crushed um you know and you can see that with with like soldiers and as, as an example you know they'll or some religions will say you know give us the boy and then we'll give you the man yeah. they're not going to give you a man they're going to give somebody that's easily controlled yeah. that's what the military does it literally conditions and break it breaks the the man and 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 gives you something that isn't quite you know isn't yeah, yeah. going to challenge authority <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know a, a man in his masculine is not going to go out and murder is not going to go out and kill women and children not going to go out and rape a woman that's just not going to happen a man who's deeply in his masculine you know is going to use his power his strength to protect to to allow everybody to experience higher states of consciousness mm-hmm. you know and it's no wonder it's being it's you know men are being sort of emasculated in that sense because they're easier to control yeah. Yeah, yeah and you know and then we have the flip side for women it's no different and even you know with the the interactions between a man and a woman you know we're we're conditioned from ch- you know from childhood in completely different ways mm-hmm. you know as men our feelings were made fun of. You know, yeah, the yeah. moment we <laughs> fell over on the football pitch and we started to have a tear up, you know, somebody would be like, ah, oh, don't be a, be a big girl's blouse. Get back up yeah, there. Get up, get up. And so we're made fun of. We're taught not to show the, the feelings. Um, and so then women always see us being strong or, or yeah, yeah. you know, the moments uh, like I was having a conversation with a woman the other day with the thing with men and maps and not admitting we need to, you know, ask for directions. Yeah, yeah. It's because to a man, it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. And I don't want to show that sign of weakness because it hurts too much because of those painful memories from the past and all this, you know, built up energy around it. So it's learning the difference between weakness and something yeah. like, you know, um, um, uh, you know, sorry, what's the, uh, <laughs> sorry, my brain just sort of, uh, went, yeah. went on pause, but learning the difference between, you know, sort of, uh, uh, empathy, uh, being in a state of where you can literally open up and, mm-hmm. and share a, a feeling and feeling safe to do so because yeah. a lot of people don't feel safe opening up and sharing their feelings because sometimes their feelings are then used against them an hour later in a conversation or, you know, the way that you, you think, you know, is used against you. Uh, so it's, it's learning that, you know, we must support each other. If somebody is going to share something with you, you have to be able to sort of have an, to, to cultivate that trust yeah. to where they feel you're not going to then go out and use that against them or you're not going to go out and tell other people. Because once the, the you know, you damage that trust again when people are moving into empathy, you know, and they're trying to learn the difference between, you know, weakness and being able to genuinely share how they feel and not look at it as being a weakness and mm-hmm. admitting they need help. You know, if you use that stuff against people, they will close down. Yeah. I love that, by the way. What a point. What a point, by the way. Beautiful. And I want to actually pull back. I had something in mind I wanted to touch on before because when you were talking about um, you were talking about technology and you said we're at a point in time where we have to have to sort of manage that balance. It can either go one way, technology can go in a good way or can go in a bad way. But do you actually think, and this was a long point before you, before you said before, and I want to touch on it. And um, you said, uh, well, basically what the question I want to ask you is, is, do you think in the future, because we know now in society now there's a resurgence where there's a lot of, like we had the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival and there's a lot of resurgence in terms of like the mind and things like that. And we know around the world there's a resurgence in psychedelics and all these sort of, these technologies that have been around on the planet for years. Do you think we, do you think in the future we'll be at a point where we have to choose between the interconnectivity of the mind versus technology? Do you think there'll be like a tipping point where you have to decide between one or the other? 
I'm not sure it has to be one or the other. I think it's, again, it comes down to responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think it's taking responsibility for technology. It's taking responsibility for our emotions. They're not, you know, two dissimilar things, really. I think, you know, we, we can see how we have technology being used in very fearful ways at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we have um, our, our, you know, sort of feelings being used against us. So I think ultimately it's just learning that, um, you know, we, we're evolving. And, you know, as we evolve, we will become more responsible for whether it's technology or how we treat each other. Um, so I don't think it has to be and or. I just yeah. think it, it comes down to responsibility and, and 100% responsibility. You know, realizing that sometimes your friends and your family or complete strangers are going to be having a bad moment. Yeah. And if suddenly you're trying to thrust responsibility on them, you know, instead of offering your compassion, it's just like these are, this is part of the spiritual practice. Yeah. If we're practicing to be more compassionate, we're not just practicing it in private during meditation or around, you know, our, our select few, you know, few friends. It's, you know, for for those moments where, you know, it needs to be applied. And that's yeah. the difference between, you know, non-applied, you know, spirituality and applied spirituality. Non-applied spirituality is literally when you when you realize this is the moment I'm supposed to be compassionate yeah. mm -hmm. versus, you know, applied spirituality where you actually are compassionate. You know, and so I think it doesn't have to be Andor. I think we just need to apply our spirituality. We need to apply, you know, the muscles that we're developing, the spiritual muscles, the mental muscles, the emotional muscles, yeah. the psychic muscles. Apply them when it's necessary to apply them. Yeah, I love that. Train them. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's like a, it's complete, like it's like a balance, and I love that. And then um, a question I want to ask you as well, actually. I mean, do you, when you are sort of, um, I mean, what sort of questions are you asking yourself? now in your life in terms of because when you when you are sort of exploring the astral astral plane and you are exploring the dream world and things like that what sort of questions are you asking yourself now in your life i would love to love, love, love to know that <laughs> one of the big questions or even is, things that you're exploring as yeah well. i i actually had something very interesting come up last year that's really made me question my reality here more oh. so i was out of body i was on a level of reality where there was other people out of their bodies but not all of them were aware that they were out of their bodies. And I think this is a natural thing. Uh, the, ast the, the astral body, uh, the energy field, when we fall asleep at night and we go into rejuvenation, of course it makes sense that the energy body, the astral body, all these aspects of ourself are also rejuvenating. They're yeah. also, you know, taking in energy. So I was on this other plane of consciousness and I'd say maybe there was maybe 20 people there. And uh, a few of them, maybe two or three, were very conscious that they were out of their bodies and attending a workshop, if you like, on another level of reality yeah. being led by me. <laughs> yeah. And everybody else was like on autopilot. But you can still learn through osmosis. You're still going to pick stuff up, you know, subconsciously. One of the students stood up and asked the question, um, how does my diet, uh, what effect is my diet having on my astral projection mm -hmm. uh, practice? And I had this instant download because you know, when you're in these states, it can be that clarity of mind like you experience from like the film Limitless. You know, yeah, he pops yeah. a pill and suddenly he's got a very clear mind and you can make all those connections. And I had this very clear moment where I, I actually re uh, repeated to the student. I replied back. I said, maybe the deeper question is asking, what effect is your diet having on the suffering of others? Wow. And I mean, it really caused me to sort of just stand still and, and think about that, you know, what's you know it, my, what is my behavior what effect is my behavior 
you know, having on others. And I think this, these are the deeper questions that, you know, really are important to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and it literally caused me last year, I was vegetarian for many years to finally make the switch to veganism. Um, because I, I really, you know, if that suddenly that information came to me, it's, it's one of these moments where when you suddenly have information, you can't unlearn what you've just learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You now, if, if you walk this path of taking responsibility, you now need to really deeply reflect on that, take a fierce moral inventory on that yeah. and, and decide, okay, am I now in just denial to this information? Do I try to justify why I don't apply this? So for me, it's now when I have those sort of questions come, I'm looking at my diet, I'm looking at my lifestyle, I'm looking at my behavior and asking yeah. how is that affecting other beings? To me, I think that is one of the biggest questions we can ask of ourselves on this level of reality. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And I just want to put a point on that as well because this, this, this might be a bit, bit might contradict sort of what you said as well or sense even though I agree with you, yeah. but it's just where my mind works and I've questioned this loads of times. And um when you were saying there, sort of, because I, I call it the astronaut perspective, like zooming out from yourself and see how my actions, like you said, how your actions sort of affect other people. Mm. But for me, the uh, it's, it's like that process of how far do you go? How far do you zoom in? Because I know my life, how sort of contradictory I am. So I'll be doing something so good in one sense. And this is how far I can zoom out. And it, it, if you go too far on this, it can send you a bit crazy. So like even the sense of we've come to this Mind Body Spirit Festival to record this. But how much effect on the world negatively have we done by coming here? But on the other sense, the balance of actually us recording this is going to affect someone's life in a positive sense. But there's this constant battle and yin and yang all the time, no matter what you do. Like when we're moving around the planet constantly, we're affecting the world negatively and positively. We are. And this is why I would, you know, continue with the line that I've mentioned a few times that I've said already a few times. And it's it's taking baby steps. Yeah. You know, when you have a realization doesn't mean that, you know, you suddenly have to you know, drop all everything and, and become some like we'll use veganism as an example. Yeah. There are, I know some really bad vegans in the sense of they're getting no nutrition from their diets. Yeah. Just because you you switch to a vegan diet doesn't mean you're suddenly looking after yourself or that you're looking after the planet. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go to the grocery store and just find ready made meals that or or fruit and vegetables that's come from halfway across the world. So it is taking this stuff in baby steps. Yeah. It's learning that it's not giant leaps most of the time. When miracles occur and suddenly you have everything available to you to, to, yeah. to sort of make those big leaps, then great, then you take them. But most of the time, it's taking baby steps. I mean, you're probably looking down at my footwear. I'm wearing, I've got leather yeah. shoes. <laughs> so at the moment, this is a, my veganism is a dietary choice. It's not necessarily a complete lifestyle choice. Yeah. I'm still making changes. I'm still adapting. Like even with honey, I learned last year that honey, of course, it's, it's produced by, by bees. Yeah. So therefore, vegans, you know, a, a sort of a fundamentalist vegan, uh, purist wouldn't yeah. use honey in their diet. So I've cut honey out. I use other things. And when I learned that, you know, maybe this is now something I need to look at, I, I take it in my stride. I take it in baby steps and I don't allow my ego to beat me to death, yeah. you know, because the ego will literally, and again, I'm talking about this, the spiritual idea of ego, not psychological idea of ego. The ego will literally use everything that you learn, whether it's knowledge, wisdom, it, everything you learn, it will use where you would use it in a loving way. It will use it in a fearful way. Yeah. So literally it's the thing that will set you up for a fall. And when you fall, it'll then beat you when you're mm, down. Yeah. So, it's learning that 
you know, there's going to be moments where the ego is going to try and sabotage you. And you just realize that you're taking this one step at a time. And at some point, you'll, you'll, you'll look back at your journey and realize, wow, I've come a quite a long ways just by taking those baby steps. So I would, I would encourage everybody to look at it in that way. Um, you know, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step, as they say. So look at it in that way and treat it in that way. And just as you start to develop, you get to that state of consciousness where, you know, it's that, you know, as you exist, you, you, you do no harm. Yeah. But it's moving to that point. You know, the, I think the phrase from Gandhi, be the change in the world, needs to be more become the change you see in the world. Because otherwise people might be like, well, how do I go instantly from there to be in that? So mm-hmm. it's becoming that. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes well, sense. Beautiful point. I, I love that. It's probably. I think that feels right to sort of wrap it up. It is. It's it it a nice little really point. Really it's a good point. That. I was trying. I was contemplating when I wanted to ask another big question, but I was like, <laughs> it just feel. It just felt right. So it felt really right. But um, thank, thank you so much. Honestly, thank it was you so, so much. Cool my pleasure, guys. Really, my honest pleasure. Really good. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed our first in-person podcast on the Ascend podcast with Todd. And if you want to check out more from Todd, all the links are in the show notes. And also the light device that we talked about at the beginning and the light device that me and Chris experienced prior to this podcast is called the Pandora Star. And all the links to all that are in the show notes as well. And if you want to support the podcast and in the process, gain access to more bonus runs all you need to do is sign up for any patreon reward tier on the ascend patreon page and next week we have another incredible in-person conversation as well from the mind body spirit festival with our brother antamar buckland so anyway just as an added bonus and as a little added teaser for next week's guest i'm going to play a song by antamar which he actually also performed at the festival called chill for a minute so sit back chill for a minute and enjoy this song and we'll catch you next week peace so just a chill for a minute chill for a minute relax and chill for a minute chill for a minute relax and chill for a minute chill for a minute relax now so just a chill for a minute chill for a minute relax and chill for a minute chill for a minute relax and chill for a minute chill for a minute relax now Relax before you react and get into a conflict or defense and attack. Then get s- 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 slap, slap, slapped in the face. Will you relax? We won't let any of that in the space. Chill for a minute. Breathe deep. Everybody's got their limits. Smiling is healthy. They prescribe it in physics. So go chill by the pond when the frog does the ribbit. The ribbit, 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 ribbit. So just a chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax and chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax and chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax now. So just a chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax and chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax and chill for a minute, chill for a minute, relax now. Ride on the beat like a horse <laughs> Ride on the beat like a bike I ain't got the keys for driving a porch Never worry, still shining the light And I ain't got time for finding a fight If you're searching for war, then the mind is
isn't right A true warrior fight to shine in the light To cleanse the emotional slime that's inside And inside all the men who've been making wars There's a little boy who's crying for love And I pray that we heal all the pain that we cause But still the earth is suffering because Following orders, doing our jobs Wasting resources and earth's getting robbed And it's big business All the searching for God While the different religions on earth are at odds But all that the teachers were preaching is love Most of us would rather go to the shops And fill our emotional gaps full of stuff It sounds like I think I'm better, I'm not It's just words from another bird in the flock One day praying that the murders will stop all over the earth there's a lot Our taxes make guns so we're working for what uh, Still these are all just words Things that are so easy to say And I pray that we open up our wings like birds And everything that comes will pass away So just chill for a minute, chill for a minute Relax and chill for a minute, chill for a minute Chill for a minute, chill for a minute Relax now Relax, 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 Relax mate, shake the weight off your shoulder A little meditation and yoga The time for frustration is over Listen to the words that the wise ones told ya Relax mate, shake the weight off your shoulder A little meditation and yoga The time for frustration is over Listen to the words that the wise ones told ya No